in heaven are we? Why on earth are we here? And how to make sense of this mess of our humanness and perhaps even transition it? Welcome everyone. From whatever nation state or emotional state you might be in, dawn of an era of well-being is the place to tune in. We're going to deep dive into uplift with insight. And I can't wait to introduce you to two formidable hosts, two-time Nobel nominee and founder of the Laszlo Institute of New Paradigm Research and the Club of Budapest, Professor Irvin Laszlo, and a fourth-generation family business entrepreneur who is the founder of ITEA Institute Quantum Leadership Center, Fred Sao. Quantum, now there's a word to deep dive into, but before we do, I want to acknowledge our worldwide audience. For some, these are indeed remarkable times in the best sense, but for most, it is quite challenging. Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing podcast and the book hopes to offer real comfort to the global community. Yet for many, comfort comes in the form of that which is concrete, action-oriented, tangible. So I'd like to start with two words that feel actually ethereal and see if we can bring forth the real in ethereal. The word consciousness and the word new paradigm. Irvin, you are the forefather, if you will, of consciousness and talking about the new paradigm. So I'd like you to talk to us about these quantum notions and why we should be excited about them and even hopeful. Well, consciousness is the key. But it doesn't have to be a forefather for that. I mean, there have been very great forefathers, Schrodinger, among other things, among other people said you can't get beyond consciousness. Wherever you go, whatever you look at, there is always consciousness. That starts, that's the, that's the base. No, but there's a big, big difference between the old paradigm consciousness and the new paradigm consciousness. The old paradigm is that it's a byproduct. It's a kind of a corollary, secondary effect of the workings of neurons in the brain. If these neurons stop, the consciousness stops, and that's also been said, said to be the proof of the pudding, that particular eating, you see. But now it turns out that consciousness doesn't have to necessarily stop when the brain stops. We know that from near-death experiences, we know that now from many altered state experiences. There's an entire new, new concept of consciousness which is also a very old concept, because it has been known to Plato and known to the Hindu seers. Consciousness is not something local that is just produced here. The, you know, the, the standard notion is consciousness is this like something that is generated. Generated, like a turbine moving around generates electricity. Uh, Neurons working in the brain in sequence generate consciousness. That's the old notion. But the old new notion is very, very different. The new new old notion notion because it's the ancient as well. Consciousness is something that exists in the world. This world, in a larger sense, is consciousness, not just has consciousness. It's not a mechanistic material world. It's a world that is sensitive a world that is alive in a special sense, the sense of being able to respond, to perceive and to respond. 
all its parts are connected. The new concept of consciousness has a role for the brain. The brain is a transformer, a transmitter of consciousness, not the creator of consciousness. But how we see the world depends on our brain. How we can transmit the tremendous cosmic consciousness which is there in the world. It's up to us. Our brain can transmit it, can bring it to us. We can become aware of the world. That's the unique advantage of being a, hu a human being. We can be aware of our own consciousness. And hopefully we can let our consciousness guide our steps. Our consciousness mm -hmm. is not arbitrary, not something that happens. Ha has to, happens to us more or less by chance. Our consciousness is an element in the world. If you recognize it, if you act with it, go with it, that's the new idea of quantum consciousness. Then we go with the quantum world's idea of consciousness, that we are all one, we are all belong together, we can all evolve together. That's the message that we want to carry out, carry, carry forward, bring forward in this new book. Fred, would you like to add uh, to that why you are also so hopeful and excited about the idea of consciousness, of a conscious community, global community, and what we're calling now a new paradigm? Would you like to yes. talk to us about the yeah. hope? Yes. I think that what happened, what is the potential of this uh, uh, paradigm of science, is number one, it bridges between physics and metaphysics. It creates problem for conventional science, but it opens up a whole bridge up between uh, the form and no form, giving an explanation and a possibility of unifying the worldviews that's so needed for us to work together. It is difference of worldview that's created conflict. And that's number one, and especially meaningful for me because it gives a way of completely re-understanding the Chinese in what the Chinese originally, the sages, was talking about. We got so industrialized in our way of analytical things that the Chinese cannot understand its culture with its own thinking. And that is actually very westernized. But this Western notion that we believe uh, for long-time science has given the possibility of relieving certain belief system and now relooking at the quantum paradigm in understanding our ancient wisdom from the past and giving the possibility uh, of us uh, regaining our culture from its roots. Consciousness is the whole core to the assumptions of the Chinese culture. The Chinese culture never debated over the yin and yang, the Tao, the Wuji. That's why it said the Chinese have no philosophy except mm -hmm. ethics, because the Chinese only looked at the life science of the yin and yang movement of energy, the sine curve, the oscillation of energy that create all form. It says the Tao give birth to the Tai Chi, and the yin and yang keeps moving and moving. There's nothing other than movement in the reality of the Rhema form. And so it gives a new perspective of understanding and retrieving a life science 
so deep hidden from the past. So it gives great uh, value to the East. It gives great bridge uh, between differences in religion and science. It gives bridge between the Western science and the Eastern science. So the developing of the consciousness-based life science and the West and the wisdom of life science of the East can all contribute to this new era of well-being and awakening, one that is not based on shamanism or religious, but one on own power of uh, consciousness. And so we move from the age of enlightenment era to deny God into looking for our own power, our own uh, thing by going to our logic and rationality, and now, and, and then back on the journey of outward, and now we can complete that journey and empowerment of ourselves with the journey of inward into consciousness and awakening, thus completing the cycle of the search both outside and inside and completing the science of form and the science as no form. It is truly a new scientific paradigm of a new era where no longer can observe science, but actually can still apply the technology of science from mathematics and other form of, uh, of uh, suggestions and experimentation. So thank you. What, thank you both. What, so what I'm hearing from both of you is a very compelling dialogue. Uh, it sounds almost like a duel between resistance and relief. Relief in the sense that the world has finally an opportunity to see itself from a much more expansive and depthful perspective, one that offers a kind of hope uh, for the constrictions that we've been living under for epochs uh, and uh, the way we perceived ourselves in a very limited context. But resistance in the sense that in any transition, um, people resist change. It's an understandable, maybe innate attribute of the human condition. And so there is great um, resistance to going through this transition because it up, there's such upheaval. It upends everything that we've come to identify ourselves with. So I want to ask you both to speak, to address the relief versus resistance and one other thing, which is related, which is that once upon a time, the West successfully marketed itself to the East, now to, we could say, the detriment of nature and harmonious well-being. And there are so many important cultures whose rich traditional wisdom is relevant for today's troubled world. So why, in particular, the Chinese culture? Uh, what does it offer the West and how to, if you will, market the East to the West on behalf of the very best, the new paradigm, and the relief versus the resistance. Would you like to both discuss that? Irvin, Craig, well, who'd like to say? Yes, let's segment it into two questions. One I'll answer, and the other one I'll ask Fred to, to deal with. The one for me is relief versus resistance, and then Fred can talk about the contribution of the Chinese culture. My saying is, my insight is, there will be no relief as long as there is resistance. Mm -hmm. The precondition of relief is 
the weakening and ultimately the elimination of resistance. Now, what do we mean by that? Relief from what? Resistance to what? Relief from the enormous problems, challenges, actually threats that we now face in the world. We have created an unsustainable world that we're beginning to see and feel as being unsustainable. We're beginning to know that it doesn't go on like this. We're going to create more and more poverty, more and more suffering, more and more marginalization, more and more that destroying of the uh, detriment to the environment. We are creating a world in which 7.8 billion people, if that's what roughly what we are today, cannot live in peace and harmony. So we need relief from something very real, but a relief not psychological, not just simply to, to talk ourselves into that everything is better. Relief in the sense of facing the problems that, we've, that we are now confronting, tackling them and getting together harmoniously, collaboratively, working together. That's the only way to get relief, the way forward, the way to life, to, to survival and eventually to thriving is through collaboration, through coordination of our actions. And that all that is rooted in consciousness and the new consciousness, which tells us that we are one, that we are belong together, we can evolve together or we become extinct together. This is the major big question that we have today. I would just like to add that I see some light at the end of the tunnel because this is a time where resistance is being questioned. Is it wise to resist? Is it something that we even want and can do? Are we not better off opening? Opening not to chaos, but opening to change, opening to a better world. This is the way forward, to find the way, to find the way in which we can live with each other, through each other, I would say. That is the great contribution of the Chinese tradition, I believe, that Fred will tell us and has been telling us. And that is what we are rediscovering in the quantum sciences. We are not separate individuals. As Einstein said, separateness is an illusion. We are basically one. If to rediscover our oneness, then we won't need to have relief because we will be relieved. We will find what we truly are. That is the message that we want to convey here, I believe. There is a way to an era of well-being. The way is togetherness, oneness, and striving as one family on this small and precious planet. Fred, would you like to add to that? It's very, very profound what Irvin has said. Would you like to add your thoughts about relief versus resistance, a sense of duality? Uh, how do you perceive? I, I think one of the thing about the quantum paradigm we have to know that it calibrates to perfection moment to moment, that all creativity, what we call good or bad, actually comes from the evolutionary energy. And it's oxalating. And when it's oxalating yin and yang, we say, oh, that's good and that's bad, that's tall and that's low. 
And so we judge ourselves, and that's the resistance comes from. Everything is perfect. You think about evolution. We always evolve to the direction of challenge, resistance. Mm -hmm. It is because of resistance that we can overcome and grow and develop. So what had happened is like that. Now, if you look at a more micro level of more recent development, we have developed a <clears throat> individualistic, consumeristic, capitalistic market economy. And it does not go with the system theory. And of course, the system theory now has to go <clears throat> beyond uh, 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 a material system into conscious and space system understanding. And so the Chinese is going with a different system theory. And they said, we're going to create a Chinese characteristic, which is this worldview of consciousness. And I'll explain what that is. They defined it. Socialistic market economy. In other words, the I is, exists only in the we. Hmm. Is it the I we or is it the we I? Do I belong to the we or do we belong to me? Well, that's a very big difference. So it does not comply with systemic theory, especially with with uh, consciousness. And if everything is one, we are in this consciousness field that created a worldview, that created desire, that created economics and politics and everything. And if we have the wrong worldview, we have the wrong life journey and the right choices and design. And when the market economy is not checked, so human beings are being capitalized by its century weakness and mental ignorance of reality, of, uh, of not of ignorance actually generate both greed and hatred and resistance as well. And so understanding that our sensory system and operating system in our subconscious belong to a rhythm like energy rotate, you can see how our patterns are coming up, how our habits become personality, our thinking become our wiring. And so we have a whole new life science uh, of psychology moving into somatic by understanding neuro uh, connections and uh, and, and psychology. So the West is developing also. And now you see that the, the best company, the biggest company uh, in America declaring, we need to redefine business. That business serve the American people first and not maximizing shareholders value, which has been running for the last 50 years since Friedman opened up the economy from the public to the private and giving more freedom to so-called market economy and giving rise to the sustainability challenge that we face together. So now, with the quantum science, it gives a new interpretation of West reaching the beat in the development of life. Because there's only life, and universe is life, and everything is life. And now we have an understanding of the quantum paradigm. We exist in life. Not only that, that there's only life and therefore there's only value in life. That human being right now, do you know what we're doing? We are creating humanity, an extension of human life, mm -hmm. of a 50 trillion cells to an 8 billion system of life form. And this life form only exists in an environment. Mm 
and it has to be good. And social disorder means this life form as sickness. And so we are awakening in answering the existential question that can cross the bridge between physics and metaphysics. That we are consciousness, nothing more. Everything is only an appearance. Time, space, multidimensional being, an access into understanding what human being is and can be possibly opens up for a unified world, creating better humanity. We indeed are not just any era. This is an awakening era of a massive scale that propel human into demigod-like creators on earth, creating peace, harmony, collaboration, mimicking and following the law of nature. And when that happens, we don't have resistance. We are just being us. No ignorance drives us, no greed, no hatred. That possibility can happen only if leadership rise. Well, you take all we need is two percent leader with a vision and the world most people like to follow. We know, well, it's interesting that you bring up the word leadership because we know that uh, leadership is has almost become um, a dirty word. It's got such a negative connotation right now. And uh, it's almost as if what you're saying, Fred, is extension versus extinction. That we're now, it's, it's almost like another duality. We're now being given the opportunity, once again, to re-perceive ourselves in a much more extended means that will prolong the human species, but in a whole different trajectory, a much more sustainable and caring uh, human species of the future. But there's something that I want actually to address to both of you, but I, I think um, it has to do with the notion of one, of oneness and family, the word family. We're a global family. We understand that conceptually, but we know that um, in the West right now, the, the concept of family is, is, in other words, very strong in the Asian cultures, but it's very fractured in the West, and particularly, I would say, in the US. Um, and a sense of unity-based family values is becoming imperative in building this new paradigm. So how can the East influence the West in overcoming these deeply etched rifts that now characterize this deep fracture? And it's not just the US. We see it um, through leadership. We see the, I, I would say, the pendulum swing, the rebound almost to the sense of a global family in can we say authoritarian orientation or very nationalistic movements that become much more tribal and go almost in the opposite direction of what the new paradigm is encouraging and what's trying to birth at the same time. Um, Irvin, Fred, who would like to dive into that bit of important? Well, just let's sort of alter it. I'll say a few words and we hand it over to Fred. Alison, I think <clears throat> the idea of family <clears throat> has been taken over rough, roughly as an idea of a reproductive unit. 
but we need to have a much more extended concept of family. I would like to use the notion instead of community, a community in which all members are members of one large family, overarching family. We can talk about the community in a neighborhood, west side of New York, Manhattan, for example, that's going to be a community. We can have a west side story. <clears throat> we can have a community of all cultures. We can have a community of life on Earth. So from the very small detail to the very largest, we are people, we are communal people. Aristotle said that we are social beings, but so, so social beings in a larger sense. We have to learn to extend the notion of society, family, and community to the planet. We cannot live in a world which is so interdependent and so interconnected that as our world is, we cannot live in such a world unless we discover that we are all part of a larger unit. This is a discovery that is in us, that can be made by descending into our own deepest being, into our own psyche, into our own consciousness. Because deep down we know that we are not alone. We are not against anybody. There are no strangers, cannot be, not to strive, not if we are to strive, to first survive and to strive. There can be no strangers in the human community. There can be no strangers in the web of life. We are all belonging to the same system, the Gaia system, if you like, a system of life in which, of which you are a part. So all the new paradigm that we're talking about, the paradigm of a social market economy, the paradigm of a new kind of capitalism, the paradigm of, of people of a new income distribution and a new way of dealing with the environment. All of this calls for, requires, uneliminably requires that we consider ourselves members of, a, of the same community, the community of life on Earth. It's an old insight, never has been so important as it is today, because the lack of this action on the basis of this insight is breaking apart our system, is breaking apart the human community, the community of life on Earth, the worst possible consequences, extinction for humanity and for all higher forms of life. That is a possibility. It's not a necessity. It's up to us to move to another possibility, to recognize who we are, we are members of the same community, and to live accordingly. Then we can survive, then we can strive. That, I think, is the lesson. We have to learn a lesson that is taught to us by observation of the problems that arise, of the unsustainability, of the crisis in which we are living, and it is supported now the solution is now supported by the quantum sciences, as Fred is saying, and as we are saying in this book. Fred, <laughs> this is big, big uh, concept. Yeah. And, and again, before Fred, before you respond, I would just like to say that these are concepts that are so fundamental to our survival and that of so many other species. And they are concepts 
And I very much want to know how we go from conceptuality to experientiality without further crises, because we know this wisdom has been around since forever. You know, the ancients have spoken about this in so many different cultures. And yet here we are again at the precipice, and perhaps this time uh, like no other time in the entirety of civilization. So Fred, what's going to be the difference this time, as opposed to all the other times in history where maybe we came close and, and the wisdom of the ancients was ever present, but we somehow didn't make that evolutionary leap? What's going to do it for us this time, do you think? Well, human being, whether material or spiritual, are evolving. We are creating a mega megaverse for us to see what reality is by our own. It's almost like painting a picture. And in the picture, we see our inner reality of truth. And so this reflection, things goes on. So there is no coincidence these things happen. So this era, quantum paradigm, mega universe, information era, all allow us to understand quantum paradigm and the reality of nature. So the Chinese as always uh, look at family very differently. Uh, the Chinese believe uh, the nation is just a big family. And under heaven and earth and between all seas, we have brotherhoods and sisterhood that we're united as one. It's always had that. But recent years with uh, consumerism and selfishness and something, and also the breakdown of uh, social ethical code to give way to uh, more market economy freedom, it has eroded. And in this time, uh, we have to understand among change, we have to look at leadership. And these leaders arise because they awaken and they act Almost like Gandhi that awakened and they acted and in India. And you'll say, well, that's miraculous. But today, looking back, it just happened. As miraculous as it is, the timing is right. If the celestial timing is right and the location is right, then all you need to do is to do the human collaboration and harmony work. And that's what the Chinese believe. Now, consider this. A vision versus a ambition. When a company says, oh, I want to be the best, I want to be the biggest, I want to be the most influential, or a country say, I want to be number one, like the Americans say, is that ambition or is it vision? Is it inclusive or is it exclusive? And then you look at China and he says, for the reality of common human destiny, we do oneness. And this oneness is an internal journey with oneself. And it will automatically let us experience our relationship holistically with nature, among people, and with yourself simultaneously. You may call it spiritual experience, but the inner journey, everything's holistic. And when you start going in a journey, you have miraculous transformation of yourself in your outer experience and outer interaction. And it says, based on a cosmic view, and cosmic is inside us, huh? Mind always the Chinese, it's the field, right? The field is everywhere. We're created for the field. It's like God is inside us, right? And Buddha is inside us. This unity of oneness is our cosmic view. 
than a harmonious uh, relationship among nations, uh, harmonious collaboration despite difference, diversity. And finally, a mind that's always moving towards goodness as morality. With this, the leadership declare, we're going to create this Chinese characteristic socialistic market economy. And what do they do? They're now cleaning up. Well, first of all, the capital market is not like the West. It's not a gambling economy. Now he's dealing with business because he realized market economy is good. It's very powerful. Better than taxing some bird and you know, giving to the poor. That doesn't work. That kills motivation. So the one who get taxed a lot, well, they get no motivation. You took the money, give it to the poor, they get no motivation to act. So they already long know that this is not a way. The way is to get market economy behaving the same way. Then the motivation will keep. They call the third wave uh, uh, of redistribution of mutual interaction for prosperity. Now, mind you one thing, huh? Chinese always believe stability is the foundation for prosperity. So we would not understand why Chinese can grow so long because Chinese constantly restricting. And the first wave is opening up market economy. The second wave is managing and restricting market economy. And the third wave is orienting the mind of business, knowing a new role that business will have to take to create the new market economy. So now China is talking about the third wave of market economy. First was opening up. Secondly is managing it. The third wave is guiding it for the new economic structure where business is going to drive the creativity. Mind you, the biggest business is still government, but they cannot do creativity. So they call on business and family business to act on the third redistribution the one that your business become for good. A redefinition of business to bring into prosperity, into the economic system, and bring about a mutuality of development. So Yuan has to understand more deeply the fundamental cultural background, and his move now is happening in the world. So what did he have to learn? Nothing. When the system is created, we can look at it and say, is there something to learn? If I like it, I take it. If I don't like it, don't take it. So a journey of materialism outside, go back into a journey of spirituality inside. Not religious, not shaman. We are empowered because we are our own self. To be ourself is the ultimate definition of, of achieving uh, life. You come here each with an independent soul, which is his own spirituality. And why and how you know? Well, you're just being you, just being. In the being, there is no resistance. That's why it's being. When there's stress, you're not being. It's not natural. So it's really easy to check how well Would that it were is. so simple? Because how many people would probably love to just relax into being themselves 
But when we have a system, a grid in place that is almost gridlocked human beings from having the freedom, and we know there are certain countries that literally suppress that freedom, then how practically can a human being start to open up to their truth, their true self, uh, amidst what feels like a clamp, you know, pressing in, just almost saying to us the very opposite. In other words, there are certain cultures, certain mores that say, no, you must not be an individual. You must not be your true self. And yet we know that there's something, something pulsing below the surface. Uh, so how can we practically help people to start to unearth unfold, uh, wipe away what's hiding that beautiful fresco, that true self that's just waiting to be seen. Irvin, have you any thoughts on this? <laughs> well, many thoughts, but not all of them can be expressed in a few words. But let me say a few words anyway. Churchill said that democracy is the worst form of government, except for the alternatives. Thomas Jefferson said, in democracy, it's the people who, who, leave, who lead. But if you believe that the people are not informed enough to lead, the solution is not to take the power from them, the power to lead, but to inform them. I think this is my notion of leadership. Leadership is to produce that background, essential background of information, of wisdom that people need to govern, to lead. It's the people who lead. Leaders need to enable the people to lead. If people who are uninformed lead, it's a catastrophe. And that's largely what we are experiencing today. We need an informed population. This doesn't mean everybody getting wise all at once. It means a critical mass, rising up, so to speak. A critical mass that can spread, that can influence the rest. At a time of chaos, impending chaos, and partially already arrived chaos, already achieved chaos, the critical mass is not a large mass. Butterfly effects survive, surface. Small people, small groups of people can change the world. As Margaret Mead said, nothing, ev ev nothing else ever has. Let's create that critical mass. Critical mass is the help of Western ins scientific insight, practical insights, these Eastern traditional insights, putting it together so that people can start thinking differently and then acting differently. That's contagious. That's more contagious than any Delta variant of COVID-19. That could spread because we need it. The time is ripe. The time is here to change. The alternative to change is to go to leave the stage of history. We don't need to do that. We can change and we can change it by putting our best values and best insights together, creating the critical mass, which can, which can spread and create a new world. Beautifully said. I, I think what I'd like to do at this very 
poignant jumping off point is just to ask both of you one final question for now, uh, because I already love this concept of uh, spreading this virally. We don't need more contagions and catastrophes and, and so forth. Perhaps there is something new that can really spread virally in the best sense. But I just want to ask both of you on a somewhat light, lighter note, if, um, if both of you were uh, tourist ambassadors for planet Earth to the rest of the cosmos, uh, and you had to uh, you had to um, market, let's say, humanity to another planet. What would you say is our selling point here on Earth, and in particular, humanity's selling point? Fred, how would you be a tourist ambassador for planet Earth at this very pivotal juncture? I don't know, because I'm, uh, although I'm in business, but uh, marketing has been one of the disaster of business that caused the world to be where it is today. And so uh, if I go to uh, a planet uh, outside and tell the world, I said, look, we are getting there as humans. We are becoming more mindful and awakening, and we're positive about the future. And I come here to learn from you, because human beings can learn very fast and change very fast once they learn. And all we need to do is be mindful of our internal emotion system and to lower our ego to improve relationship. And all is well, because we cannot hear what we cannot want to hear. We cannot see what our heart cannot accept. We're always lying to ourselves. The awakening is stop lying to yourself. And so I would say human being is about to awaken to become human being finally. It's exciting. Irvin, what an exciting way to present our planet. Irvin, how would you as an ambassador for planet Earth on behalf of this human species, how would you uh, market, if you will, humanity and Earth? I agree with this, Fred. I agree with Fred talking about awakening. I would like to be able to say that humanity on this small planet has woken up in time and has become what it was meant to become, an ambassador of consciousness, of higher consciousness, that can pervade this whole planet, that can allow all life to flourish. I would like to be able to say that. But I have to say that for now, we are on the point where we may be awakening or maybe we are going down. At this point, we don't know. It hasn't been decided yet. But I would like to say that we have the potential to awaken, to know who we are, to know that we are part of a whole that evolves, a whole that is conscious, and this higher consciousness, which is surely the destiny of all life, it is meant, all life is meant to create a higher consciousness. I don't see what else it could, life could mean on, in the universe, but that I'd like to say that we are able to realize this, to understand it, and to act in, a, in accordance with it. 
I would like to say that we have the potential to do so. And allow me to come back mm -hmm. next year, so to speak, and tell you that perhaps we have set out okay. on the right way. I can't thank both of you enough for this truly compelling, rich conversation, which is just the first of many. We're going to be having Irvin and Fred with several guest uh, speakers in the coming episodes. And uh, I'm Alison Goldwyn, your moderator for this wonderful, insightful dawn of an era of well-being podcast series, uh, inviting you to join us again and to buy the book, of course, to dive gently into yourself, to your truth, and to remember that when we're building a new paradigm for humankind, let's try to include human kindness. Stay tuned and stay attuned. Thank you for joining us. Dawn of an Era of Well-Being is a co-production of the Laszlo Institute, ITEA Institute, and Select Books. It's produced by Nora Cesar and Kenichi Sugihara, with theme music Chimera by Biba Dupont. The book, Dawn of an Era of Well-Being, co-authored by Irvin Laszlo and Frederick Sahl, is available wherever books or e-books are sold. Please subscribe to Dawn of an Era of Well-Being, the podcast, on Apple or Spotify for more fascinating guests and discussion. My name is Alison Goldwyn, founder and creative director of Synchronistory.com, a future party for the planet broadcast live worldwide, wishing you well-being till we talk again next week.